1: Kevin, what did we just watch?
2: <laughs> uh, we just watched a variety of Christmas-related Dragnet media. A
1: very Dragnet Christmas. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> Specifically, we watched The Big Little Jesus, the, thir- the 17th episode of the show's third season, which aired on December 24th, 1953. We watched The Christmas Story, which uh, was the second season of the second Dragnet TV series in color, uh, and that was the fifteenth episode of that season, December twenty first, nineteen sixty seven. And then we'll probably talk about this one last for reasons that will be made clear later. do
2: you give the title yeah. Let's away. let's let's just. And sit we also listened to the uh, radio version of the Big Little Jesus.
1: Yeah, Big Little Jesus, and to give you a sense of how much they liked this fucking show, this script. Here's how many times they re aired it. I'm on the Wikipedia page for the radio show. I'm doing my little find in page for Big Little Jesus. And the first one aired on, looks like, Wednesday, December twenty. Oh, sorry, December 22nd, 1953. Then they re they aired it. I don't know if they re recorded, but they re aired it. Uh, on December 21st, 1954, and then a third time, December 25th, 1956. And they they also, had gold with this then. This was their favorite. They re-aired they, it a bunch of
2: they times. They also uh, filmed it as part of the Black and White Show, and as you mentioned, they re-filmed it again.
1: And gave it a much worse name, because don't you think the Big Little Jesus is hilarious? And, you know, Christmas story, That's come on.
2: It makes you think of big little Jesus shepherd, right?
1: Yeah, it's that. It's that. It's you know. I I enjoy that movie, but I'm not going to associate that with Dragnet. But the big little Jesus sounds classic Dragnet. That's such a funny name.
2: So it was kind of a gritty, hard hitting story. Yeah, it was really tough about Christmas cards. (laughs) The reason you marry a woman.
1: Well, here's here's one. So we watched actually this in like opposite order because we watched uh, the Christmas story one first. That's the color version 1967. And then we watched Big Little Jesus, which is black and white. And it was really trippy. It was like going back in time. But the first thing that struck me about the the, the Christmas story one is uh, Bill Gannon is in it he's the partner in that one and of course he's played by i don't remember his name harry morgan harry morgan he uh, we've been binging a lot of mash recently first time you've ever watched mash yes so mash used to be or when i started watching mash i kept on being like why is bill gannon their doctor boss and now i'm like you know why why the hell is colonel potter in la he should be back in korea with his friends and so it, it, it's been surreal to have that my perception shift of harry morgan throughout this experience so now i'm just like you're a doctor man go help people <laughs> you're in the army you need to go take care of your horse <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it was... Harry Morgan on MASH has made you cry more than once. Yeah, he's he's great on MASH. Love that show. I, I don't know why I haven't seen it before, but we've been... Yeah, it's been a fun MASH binge, so seeing a lot of that. But anyways, in this... In in Dragnet... He
2: did not make you cry on this episode. He's na- he doesn't
1: make you cry in Dragnet. He's just there to say weird shit to Friday. In this one, once again, he's giving a very bleak portrait of, like, 1960s marriages. He, he suggests to Friday that he needs to find a spouse... Not for a loving companion, not to find a soulmate, not even for the sex. He wants him to find a a, a, a a spouse so his wife can take care of things like laundry and Christmas cards. Bleak. Colonel Potter would never. He respected his wife.
2: He loved and adored Mildred. He
1: saluted Mildred every day. <laughs> so... <laughs> So anyway, yeah, that's that's always funny to, to see him though. But um, yeah, they're talking, they're just doing, and like we sat through three different versions of this banter because we also went back and listened to the Big Little Jesus radio broadcast. So
2: and it was kind of unchanged,
1: Unchanged.
2: So, so it's, not, it's not, Bill Gannon's not a unique character because he's doing the same dialogue that was written like 15 years earlier. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they just. For Frank Smith. Hey, you doing your Christmas cards late. Yeah, I got I got to them late. You should get a wife to do Christmas card. And you're like, oh my god, it's just spy. I, I have
2: some gifts and I'll, you know, I opened my gifts a little bit before Christmas.
1: I don't want to. I want to save them for Christmas. Well, I always I I've opened my magazine for my brother in law. <laughs> like... Isn't it something that Friday's partners
2: always have a lot more life and vivacity than Friday?
1: Are they or are they like are they like a, a, a strange hollow approximation of life and vivacity? Because nothing they're saying quite seems to be heartfelt, or they're just kind of like, "Hi, I'm kind of a you know a little bit more of a enthusiastic guy than Friday." Here I am, you know, like it, it's haunting in some ways.
2: Jack Webb is a fascinating. I character. know,
1: I love it. He, I was saying this to you because the radio. He was, I mean. I mean, podcasts are basically, you know, radio you can listen to whenever. So he's like the forefather of us. He's like the, he's the, he's the OG podcaster. Dragnet.
2: On the radio. On
1: radio is That's basically a podcast. That- <laughs> we're, the, we're following the grand tradition of Jack Webb by doing this dumb shit. Although frankly, comedy. Dragnet, the radio shows significantly higher quality, better, better production values, better writing. And what we're doing here today. So I think we're maybe disgracing the name of Jack Webb yes. with that comparison. He's I like remember a- we listened to some episodes when we were driving around once and like one of them was like really gripping. Like I, I don't remember. I, 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 I it was like a like some sort of disappearance thing. And I was like, this is well done. This is radio. Yeah. He <sighs> knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Some of these episodes are pretty corny, though. And uh, that's where we get to the big little Jesus.
2: But he comes across so stiff and humorless. And he comes across uh, cr- his creative decisions like he doesn't really understand emotion or humor a lot of the time. But in real life, he was supposed to be a pretty fun guy. He loved jazz. He, he was married for a while to Julie London. I mean, Julie London. So, uh, Why didn't you get married to her if you like her so much? <laughs> Are you jealous of Julie London?
1: You're like Julie London. Your eyes are sparkling. Get a long, wistful glance at the window. <laughs> it's I, don't, I don't. I don't think she's with us anymore. Oh well, R.I.P. But nonetheless,
2: <laughs> uh, I'm. i You're Julie London is no Anya King.
1: <laughs> I'm sure she was glad of that.
2: <laughs> but so it's it, it, in real life. He seemed to have had more personality. Yeah,
1: but you know, I mean, I mean. I think we both understand, on some level, suppressing your strange and, you know, maybe a little bit more lively, but, you know, a personality to do a more serious work. Sometimes it's necessary. And in a way, it helped Dragnet fit into this weird Dragnet-y mold that, like, it was, I think, hard to, you know, like, hard to ignore. You know, I mean, if it had just, if it... I think if he'd try to put maybe inject more of that personality, maybe it would have been less distinctive. Maybe it would have been a little bit more, you know, dated. In a way, it feels dated, but it doesn't really. It feels oddly fresh because it's just this own strange thing. And having seen plenty of modern day procedurals where they try to have more of a quote unquote personality or try to have it be like, let's see what the cops are doing when they go home. A lot of that just doesn't work. It's just like this sucks. I'm bored. Go back but, to solving mysteries. Though, oddly
2: enough, the episodes of Dragnet where we hang out with Friday and Gannon off duty, <laughs> those are delightful.
1: Well, yeah, because they're really bizarre, uh, just odd, surreal moments. But but for the, some of my favorite episodes. But for the most part, you kind of feel like Joe Friday doesn't want to. You know, he's just let's let's keep work at work. You know what I mean? Like let's let's uh, keep it professional. And I think that just works because. His job is interesting and it keeps the focus on the case rather than like, is Friday going to get a date for the big, you know, cop dance or whatever the fuck. I don't know. <laughs> whatever cops did in the 1950s. <laughs> it's a delightful show. I mean, it, not every episode's amazing, but you know, it, it's always, there's always something where you're like, what the hell is going on here? Is that why you like it?
2: Uh, I, I'd never seen the show. Until after the uh, Dan Aykroyd movie came out, and then uh, they started syndicating it again, the color episodes, and I found it hypnotic.
1: Yeah, it's hypnotic.
2: Because it's not reality, but it's its own unique thing that is just, you can't look away. It's awesome.
1: Like, I, I'm like, it's like really, I think, harder to do that than we think. I, I think it's, you can't look away. It's really compelling, even if it's not always good.
2: I've seen every episode of The Color Show multiple times.
1: Jesus. You, you, that explains a lot. <laughs>
2: you, you've seen only a tiny fraction of The Color
1: episodes. What what are you, like, gatekeeping Dragnet from your wife?
2: I think you need to see more episodes.
1: You don't get to have an opinion, babe. Are you, like, a real Dragnet fan? Name, you? your, name your top, <laughs> top 10 1967 episodes. Well, you liked the pilot. Uh... Of, uh, of Dragon. Remember that two-hour movie? The two-hour movie with the serial killer?
2: Yeah, where, like, Ganon was being forced to retire.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I had some criticisms of it, to be fair. But there were elements of it that worked for me.
2: I think you really loved, if I remember correctly, there were references to a part of the city called, like, Dogtown or something. That was your favorite part.
1: Dogtown.
2: I think you made a lot of comic Forget hay it, out of that.
1: Forget it, Kevin. It's Dogtown.
2: <laughs> I think if people go back and listen to the episode we did about that, I think probably about 90% of it is you making Dogtown jokes.
1: Well, I apologize to everyone for that. That that must have been where the listenership really dropped off. <laughs> and you know what? It was right to you. <laughs> I'm not going to defend that. Uh, yeah, I remember thinking it was a bit of a darker case than it felt like the series or the 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 like the show could handle but it had some good moments and uh yeah it wasn't it wasn't bad i don't know if it was good it was just it was interesting
2: the color episodes got to the point where they were less interested in telling really intriguing stories and we want people to learn what police do like you know if a president comes to town what sorts of things does law enforcement do?
1: Yeah, he was like, he, like, just like a podcaster, just trying to explain basic concepts to his audience. <laughs> you keep on beating this drum. You In the hopes he was of not... getting some content out of it. You know, he was not the first. But he thought like a podcaster, and that's what made it. And he, he had a whole brand, you know? Yeah, I get there were other radio people before him, but I'm saying, like, he was, like, he was Dragnet. He was a podcaster. <laughs> i I, I don't make the rules. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and you don't learn broadcasting history. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, who for you was the first podcaster? Who is the who's the podfather? Like who's that? What do you do?
2: Wasn't he like the first podcaster, I like Adam Carolla, that sort of thing?
1: Okay. I said who was he what did he do and you just said well he was Adam Carolla he did that sort of thing Was he the first podcaster? I don't know who that is. I think he might be the first podcaster. Oh, Jesus fucking Was he like the guy who did like radio stuff early on? No, he was a podcast. Oh, I mean like I mean like radio guys, old-timey guys.
2: Oh, you mean like uh like the 20s? Yeah. Uh,
1: people who we could who did radio, but who we can jokingly refer to as podcasters, because we're podcasters, we're trying to make comic hay out of it.
2: Oh, is that get what with doing? the
1: fucking program, man?
2: See, so mean like a, a serialized story, or like people are just going could with be a-
1: anything, anything. Take your pick. Yeah, broadcasting started like in the twenties. Must have been really bad. <laughs> Must have been just.
2: Uh, this was obviously not the twenties, but, uh, you were talking earlier about Gene Shepard. He'd, he'd come on the radio uh, or WOR and just kind of like steam of Consciousness just sort of stuff.
1: I wasn't talking cause I don't know who that is. Christmas story. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't, I don't know that much about how that got made. I just, I, I enjoyed the film as a child.
2: Yeah. You love Gene Shepard. So he was
1: a podcaster. Yeah, that does sound like a podcast. It's just running your mouth for hours. And
2: he like tells stories. Or yeah, just, here's what I. That's I'm like a it.
1: podcast. But like Jack Webbs, like he's one of those like slick, you know, kind of audio narrative podcasts where it's like he, you know, he's, like the whole concept is brilliant. The whole concept when they start the radio it was show like in the
2: late '40s, early '50s, people really figured out how to tell radio stories well with great sound effects and stuff and sophisticated writing. And then TV comes in and kills it.
1: I really feel like those Dragnet episodes where they come in, and they're like, you know, you're a homicide detective. Like, it, it kind of engages the audience in a way. And then, you know, the kind of terse, staccato delivery of the lines, it just gets into a really good rhythm, and it makes it compelling. And I think, uh, you know, and, and kind of making the audience feel like they're immersed in this world that is not their own, but is intriguing to them. I mean, I think it's, I think it's brilliant storytelling.
2: It's great stuff.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, I guess we're going to make fun of the big little Jesus, but but generally, like, I have very positive feelings about Dragnet, because I think it is just really good storytelling, even if it's really corny sometimes, as we found out today.
2: Uh, Before we watched this, I think I pointed out that it was scripted by Richard Breen, who also scripted, I think, the 1954 movie version of Dragnet. He also scripted uh, the FBI story, both of which have been covered on earlier installments.
1: Yes, to mixed reviews, <laughs> to say the least. But I'll say
2: this about the FBI story. It's one of the few things we're still periodically in our life. One of us would turn to each other and say, like, what was that? So it's like we're still talking about Yeah, it. we're still talking about it. So it's not a it. total it's failure. Th- that
1: fucked with our minds. Because you keep thinking, like, a Jimmy Stewart, Jimmy Stewart as an FBI agent, how could you go that wrong? Especially when you take the, the fact that they were inspired by a number of highly intriguing, fascinating, real-life cases. How could you have all those terrific ingredients and come up with this mush?
2: It was awful.
1: But, like, how did they fuck it up that bad? Like, that's like, you know, you really... Uh, it, it took effort to fuck it up that bad. It took really overthinking it and letting Jagger Hoover have creative control probably.
2: It's like you go to a great steakhouse that has high quality meats and an expert chef and they serve you a meal and it's like an edible. It's like, how did this happen? Yeah.
1: How does this happen? And like, there's, just, I I have, th- I, it just haunts me on some level. Cause that movie went on for like, it felt like five hours. <laughs> I think it was probably more like two, but I felt like five.
2: And they're like parts of it, they're just making fun of the guy's kids.
1: Yeah. Like, doesn't this guy have some dumb kids? And then him just like, yeah, my kids are dumb. And it's like, do you want to go do the FBI stuff? And then they're like, justifying stuff like, Dillinger embarrassed us, so we shot him in the street. It was like, Jesus Christ. Jimmy Stewart, no.
2: God. I think we may have wandered a bit afield. Yeah, we're we? From the big little Jesus. Yeah,
1: okay, let's go back to the, the church. Where the we haven't, even, we haven't gotten to the church yet. Uh, we're still, shut up. We're still at police headquarters. you're yammering. And Just like Gannon. Me,
2: and let me note they're at police headquarters doing Christmas cards and talking about gifts. And they get a call for a robbery. In a part of town that's outside of their jurisdiction.
1: So this whole thing was just an extrajudicial nightmare.
2: They say, yeah, we got nothing. Let's go over and do this anyway.
1: Even though it's not well,
2: legal. They just, just passed right over that.
1: Yeah, they that was bizarre. I don't know why they added that in there. Just raises a lot of
2: disturbing questions. Yeah, we don't know the different jurisdictions, the different divisions. You don't, don't have just,
1: to say anything.
2: They say, yeah, you know, ordinarily this would be handled by Foothills Division. But we got nothing going on. Why don't we do it?
1: It's like, because you're not Foothills Division and it's not your jurisdiction. But we don't even need to
2: know that. Don't even bring up Foothills.
1: They shouldn't have brought up a lot of this. So they go there. Uh, they it's the call us
2: Ca- from a priest. Yeah,
1: it's a Catholic church. They they In the early ones, like it's the oldest one in LA. And then later on, they just drop that. They don't want people to know that. It's just a church, whatever. They show up. And it's funny, in the Big Little Jesus original, the black and white episode, they kind of are a little bit artsy with their shots. They're trying. And then... That goes out the window with the color version. They go and there's a problem.
2: And the priest says, "Well, you know, I, I'm pretty sure the statue was there last night, but since last night, there's been a six o'clock mass and a seven o'clock mass, and there were altar boys there. And your first reaction was, The altar Kevin, boys did it.' I'm certain it was the altar. Those boys. little,
1: those little thieves. No, yeah. I mean, I told I was I I have a, I have a weird." Young Anya story about about religion and and suspecting things in a church.
2: Why don't you share that yeah. with us? I just put my feet up.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just funny because it shows how my my mind thinks. When I was little, I had a, you know a lady who was a babysitter. She was very nice. Uh, she, I'm Catholic. She was also Catholic. She brought me to church, and I was I was very I was very small, and she's praying to this uh, statue of the Pietà, which of course is virgin mary holding jesus's dead body after he's crucified and she's praying to him and she's you know apologizing to jesus and i just remember distinctly as a child thinking what the fuck did you do to jesus (laughs) i was thinking like is she involved in what happened to him (laughs) So I was a I was a very suspicious child, and that just I don't know for some reason this episode reminded me all the candles. They keep on sh- doing shots of the candles, so that just brought me back to my so old did, suspicions. Did, did you
2: confront the person? No, their role in it's the not my business.
1: I'm not a snitch. <laughs> no, I did not confront her. I just thought it was weird. I'm like she seems awfully upset about some perceived wrongdoing she did with Jesus. <laughs> What could it mean?
2: <laughs> yes, this tells us a lot about you.
1: Yeah. I was very suspicious. I feel like you would have done the same thing. You're, Guess what? I didn't. You're a little suspicious boy when you were a child, I'm sure.
2: I I, I never You were probably never, always
1: looking for, for dirt on other people.
2: I think I was always aware uh of the passage of time.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and the people alive now were not alive
1: then. Well, I don't know. I was like I was like I was very little. Everyone, you know, everyone who was an adult seemed ancient to me. <laughs> but anyways, so they, they, uh, they this, the Christ it, it,
2: this, this brings up, uh, go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, you go ahead.
2: This brings up something about the storytelling of the show in that they include a lot. They bring on people to do scenes and they include a lot of superfluous information about those people. Yes. Because they go, the first altar boy says, "No, nah, I, 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 He says something unimportant. I don't remember what it was. And then they go to talk to the second altar boy. Guess what? He has a second job, but he'll be in touch later. And so they, our next move is let's go to this store in town that sells religious art. They go to this store, and there's like a crusty shopkeeper there who has a long monologue about how he is. Uh, likes to play chess by mail with somebody which is totally irrelevant to the story but it does add some color and texture
1: what what tell us about like the man's performance over the years
2: (laughs) On the radio show and on the black and white show it it was credible
1: and the actor is the same in both tv specials at least i don't know about the radio yes
2: but uh, between nineteen what fifty three and nineteen sixty seven, he's lost a step in his thespian skills. He's a little bit broader, a little less subtle.
1: Very broad. It's nice
2: of uh, Jack Webb to give him the work.
1: I think it's great. I really like that Jack Webb kept hiring the same people because the priest is the same, Mister Flavin, the religious shop person is the same. Uh, you know, it you do see this kind of repetition in in the actors, and I think that's terrific. Of course, it, Bill Gannon is not in the in the black and white version. I forget what the partner's name is in that. Frank Smith. Frank Smith. He's in it, and so there's some differences. But in terms of yeah, it's kind of fun to see, and it's so weird to see Jack Webb in the in the color version. He's much more serious in that, even though the tone of the black and white is much more serious than the color. It's like the The show is really gritty in the beginning, but he like has normal human facial expressions. He smiles. He kind of like rolls his eyes, like he, you know, he's like, "Oh gosh, look at this." He he's reacting to things. Seems more like a human being, certainly a stern one, but like has that the flicker of life. And then in in the in the later ones, Joe Friday is just like a total automaton. Like he's just like, you know, beep boop Christmas. I mean, and 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 it's kind of hilarious because he just he just doubles down on that. But, you know, good for him. (laughs) It works. Yes, it does. So what happens next?
2: Then they go back to their office, and the second alt boy comes in. And they say, well, you know, what the hell? You could have just called us. And there's like a long speech. Well, my father thinks you need to not be lazy and go in and talk to people. And, again, this is character information and texture that we don't need.
1: It's a familiar face in the colored version. Yes. Tell us who it is.
2: Barry Williams.
1: Of course, Greg Brady. And I, I, I mean, me thinking like a law and order viewer immediately thinks, oh, wait, that kid must have been an up and comer. He's the guest star. He's the kidnapper of baby Jesus. So you would every
2: step of the way, this kept you guessing and you were wrong.
1: Well, yeah. Every step
2: of the way. I thought it would make
1: narrative sense. (laughs)
0: <laughs>
2: every step of the way. I thought it
1: was a fair play mystery. Every step of the way, you were completely off base. It was frankly So when you first watched this, whenever that was, what what did you, what what, what would you think was going to happen?
2: I just sat back and enjoyed oh, the ride. Oh, please. I was like uh, someone being carried and ferried about in a red wagon. <laughs> Jeez. But, he, but uh, Greg Brady says, hey, I didn't see anything really suspicious, unless you mean that kind of... Suspicious uh, guy. <laughs> suspicious guy who left carrying a big bundle that was about the size of a Jesus statue.
1: Yelling, yeah, 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 I'm way. taking Jesus with me.
2: And by the way, he lives in a really run-down uh, And he's got
1: a record, but you didn't hear that from me.
2: <laughs> so then they go to this hotel where they have... Uh, in exchange with the clerk, who uh, I think you pointed out was played by Herb Vigren.
1: No, you you pointed that out, naturally.
2: And you mentioned it's a big
1: Herb Vigren fan over you, here. You
2: pointed out that I, we might remember him from playing several uh, comic villain roles on uh, The Adventures of Superman. And I, I said, what a smart observation you've made there. <laughs>
3: so don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
0: That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk
2: about starting the morning right.
0: Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah.
2: And he has a long speech.
1: You know, you know, lying makes baby Jesus cry.
2: He has a long speech about how it's his uncle's hotel. Oh,
1: God. That and, the, and then he
2: talks about how, how the fellas there like to sing songs. And there's this one man. Who lives in this rundown hotel, who used to be rich. He likes to tell the other people's stories about what his life was what like. Was that
1: Jimmy Nichols or something? <laughs> I don't even know. Wasn't it Jimmy Quinn? Oh yeah, Jimmy Quinn. And and he likes to tell the oh his granddad on Christmas used to put uh twenty cent 20 gold pieces under the t- t- cutlery. I don't know. It was
2: a twenty dollar gold piece. Whatever.
1: And it's like, oh, okay, so we're gonna meet Jimmy Quinn? Nope. Doesn't come up again. Why do you adds, ask? It adds texture. It does add texture, but it's just bizarre and just, you know, it's not going to go the way you think it's going to go.
2: So this is this is like, what, 1953? How old do you think Jimmy Quinn was when he got these $20 gold pieces?
1: 1953, maybe, like...
2: Obviously, he's old.
1: He's fucking old. So maybe... Like, maybe he got them in, like, 1890? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. He's eight. Yeah, he's, like, 60... Or, like, he's, like, in his 70s and...
2: 18, Makes me...
1: It's just sad. And it's like, is that a halfway house? What is going on?
2: I'm going to look up how much this $20 gold piece they were given uh is worth today. Jesus Christ! So yeah, that's the guy, point. This guy, this guy, putting these $20 gold pieces under his little kid's uh,
1: plates... That's six hundred and fifty dollars. Ooh, nice, Jimmy Quinn. I don't think he no, held wonder to the, those. no
2: wonder the family fortune evaporated. Yeah, he's
1: bad with money, Granddad Quinn. Jeez, I just this whole this show is so textured. It's it's it it, it just it does keep you guessing, but you're also and like, the city there's real. a lot of fat on this Christmas goose. But the city felt real. <laughs> you almost fell back in your seat. Does it feel real? Because I don't I don't feel like I interact with people in this way. Maybe I'm just the wrong.
2: You said at one point when they went to talk to somebody, you said that's how people talk to us. That
1: is true, actually. People, people like if you get like in our yeah, people do talk to us like that, where you're suddenly like, I am, I'm too polite to interrupt this, but like I, we need to get back on track somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, we can't be hearing about Granddad Quinn right now. We have a baby Jesus to save.
2: Even their captain isn't happy. About them trying to find a ten dollar statue of baby Jesus that Foothill should be looking
1: for. Yeah, he's like, this is not your job. In the most realistic, like a chillingly realistic moment in an otherwise rather unrealistic episode, he's just like, but I, 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 thought, I thought he was going to come in and be like, five people have been murdered today. <laughs> There's a serial rapist on the loose. <laughs> There's those 10 fires down the block that the firebug started. What are you doing as the city burns?
2: And he said, uh, I, I want you to actually do your, your job and go uh, take this prisoner somewhere or meet this prisoner. They'll take the rest of the day.
1: That prisoner's name? Baby Jesus.
2: <laughs> and they say, What about this, this, uh, this hot uh, Jesus statue case? And he says, Maybe you can do that tomorrow, the next day, or maybe. Have the foothills boys do it. And he says, he says, uh Friday says, Well, okay, boss, we're heading right out. By the way, why don't you call Father Rojas and tell him you don't want us working on the cases? we got more important things to do? And Captain's like, I owe
1: that guy money.
2: <laughs> and the captain's says, Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> now,
2: you've been a manager of people. Yeah. How would you feel? If someone tried to emotionally blackmail you out of make, out of keeping a decision you made.
1: I would say, why don't you just call them when you get back or call them and tell them yourselves now? I'm not going to do that. I, I have a staff to run. So, yeah, I would pick up on that and I would insist on them behaving like gentlemen. How about you? You've never been a manager.
2: Never been a manager.
1: You don't know what leadership is. You don't know the meaning of it. Would you ever? Would you ever pull that with your boss? I, would, I. They shouldn't have taken the call in the first place. Yeah, I would be worried about jurisdictional issues. You know, and if there were, I mean, what are they worried? The foothills boys are corrupt, and they they took the Jesus.
2: <laughs> and then they get a call because when they were in the hotel earlier, try to find the guy who took the package out. Oh my god, he wasn't there. But they said, guess what? He's there. So they go down. This poor man. Yeah, that they they force him to come down to the police station. He's really
1: sad because he's going to miss his sad old man Christmas outing. And this this
2: this man, they're taking him down based upon the the memory of a child. <laughs> no other evidence.
1: Greg Brady at that.
2: <laughs> and so they take him from the foothills part of town all the way over to their part of town, and they like, like try to sweat him.
1: This is literally, I was reading Farewell My Lovely the other day, and this is literally a, a plot point of what they do to Marlowe in the in in Raymond Chandler novel. It's not considered a good
2: thing. Because they suspected Marlowe stole a statue of yes, Jesus. Yes, of
1: Jesus. I, I think they ripped this off wholesale. <laughs> the original title was Farewell My Lovely Little Jesus. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's because they're corrupt cops and he's looking into their racket.
2: Uh, So after sweating the guy for like an hour, he says, I don't know what you're talking about. And they say, oh, yeah, you're right. Find your own way home.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like that means. They took him to like another part of town. It's not like they were across the street from the church. I kind of suspect that there wasn't probably great public transport in L.A. at that time. But maybe I'm wrong. This guy's hotel is over in the Foothills division. Oh, geez. How's he going to get back for the good King Wenceslas sing off in time?
2: Yeah, we forgot the old men. We, we saw clips. Oh, Jesus the old men in the hotel sing songs.
1: Good King Wench's lofts looked out on the feast of Stephen, where the snow lay round about deep and crisp and even.
2: And so then uh, Friday and Gannon or Friday and Smith realize, well, we, we've we shat the bed on this one.
1: <laughs> Time is a flat <laughs> circle.
2: <laughs> we can't find this we made a mis- Maybe it was wrong for us to tell the priest we could get the statue by the end of business. <laughs> yeah, that
1: was a mistake. I thought, as a cops, you're never supposed to do that.
2: Never supposed to do that.
1: Or anything. I mean, I was told as a lifeguard when I was a teenager do not say you're going to save somebody because that could be like a problem with like a lawsuit. So, something to think about, guys.
2: So they said, well, we better, instead of calling. We should do what this kid's parents said. We should go down, face the music.
1: You made a good point.
2: And tell the priest in person that we've totally screwed up. Have no idea where this tacky little statue is. Pick it up.
1: Tacky little statue. How dare you talk about baby Jesus that way?
2: Don't they say repeatedly, oh, it's part of a set that has uh, scratches. That doesn't Uh, mean
1: it's tacky.
2: You made fun of it because it looked like he was like, flapping his arms around well
1: he's just rambunctious we don't criticize baby jesus in this house and also
2: baby jesus is like almost the same size as his parents well
1: you gotta so what show him happened off. there? <laughs> you gotta show him off. he's the he's the he's
2: the star of the show so if you when little anya comes is she going to be the same size as you if so you're going to have a hard time afterwards. You
1: have, you have a really hard time with things that are not like, you're like a Jack Webb type. Like everything has to be like literal, spelled out. Yes. Jesus Christ. That's why we like Dragnet. So basically, they show up and then they're like, sorry, we, you know, we've, we fucked up. Apologies. Don't do any of your like Catholic curses on us. And then the door opens in both directions. As if on cue. As if on cue. As if this kid's been this kid's been lurking in the bushes outside waiting. And this little boy brings, you know, drags a red wagon. It's, you know, you can't tell it's red in the black and white version. But he's dragging a wagon down the, uh, the center aisle of the church towards the altar. And he... This is
2: the twisted thing you didn't see coming.
1: No. <laughs> I thought it would make a little more sense. And... It's this little guy, and, and the, the priest is like, oh, this is one of the kids who, like, goes to the parish. And, you know, he has the baby Jesus in his wagon, and the cops are, like ask him where he found it. And he asks him, and the kid only speaks Spanish, and the kid responds, you know, I didn't find him. I prayed for this wagon for a very long time. This year I prayed to the baby Jesus. I said, if, you know, if I get this wagon, I'll take you out in it first. And so he took him to fulfill his promise after he got the red wagon. And so it was just a kind of a little, he's a very small child. He's like, it's, it's understandable. It's not like an 11 year old kid did this. It's a little boy.
2: How long does it take to give a statue a ride? Cause apparently it's a
1: multi-hour ride. Well, I mean, it, it's the foothills division. Maybe the buses don't really go out there. Maybe he's been walking for a while. He's very small. So they're all like, okay, we're not going to arrest this kid. <laughs> We'll just give him a warning. No, uh, they they just, they're like, aw. It's
2: like Raiders of the Lost Ark because none of the resolution of the story had anything to do with anything Friday and Gannon or Friday and Smith Also, all
1: the parishioners' faces melt off after this.
2: (laughs) So the the father says, well, you know, you, you can't get mad at him because his family's very poor.
1: He doesn't say it like that.
2: And then the Friday takes a long, long look. At the nativity scene and then he looks at the priest and he said is he is he poor
1: or are they father <laughs> that's the line <laughs> ah. are they father so it's really cheesy but i found it likable enough i didn't hate it it was that kind of corny christmas stuff
2: <laughs> you enjoy it. you love the way friday nods at the priest without a word walks all the way to the back of the sanctuary looks at the priest again nods at him one more time and then walks out we, we know a reporter who does stuff like that give you kind of a quick nod and then he's gone
1: yeah i that, that was that was awesome i thought I, I genuinely at one point when he turned around thought he was gonna salute the altar <laughs> and that would have been that would have been the only thing to make it better and then it like the camera goes in all the flickering candles. Cute. I mean, it was like really cheesy, really, really cheesy, and like probably like five people got shot that day, but I thought it was kind of sweet. It was just very corny, you know. My least favorite episode of Drag Band. Yeah, you like the hard stuff, like like Bill Gannon and Friday making really disgusting sandwiches over the weekend. The that e- sounds like a euphemism, but it's not.
2: <laughs> the episode where they train. Uh, dogs to <laughs> sniff drugs <laughs> is more compelling than this. And there's like a, 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 a like a slow... At one point, they say, oh, gosh, I hope these dogs would be able to do this with the drugs with their noses. <laughs> and you say, yes, I hope. And then you slowly zoom in on the captain's fingers as he crosses his fingers. Da, 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 da That was better than this.
1: <laughs> do the dogs end up doing the drugs? Because <laughs> that's what our dog would do. Our, they'd be like, okay, dude, you've all trained, you've we've trained these dogs. Good job, everybody. Wait, where's where's uh recruit Lanny? Where's La- cadet Lanny? And then you cut over to like a police car, and she's packed all the drugs in the back for practice, and she's zooming off with them. Go to her drug contacts to sell them. She'd be a double agent.
2: Now we've had a bit of fun. Oh, but it's time.
1: Oh, I, I want to say serious. in the happy Christmas episode.
2: <laughs> do you, do you want to just stop here? No, no. Okay, it's time to get a little we got to get a
1: sad Christmas episode. Because,
2: of course. Uh, we can't un- leave well enough alone. This wasn't the only Dragnet Christmas story. This was not the only Dragnet Christmas story.
1: It's the one that people, I think, make fun of more because it's so cheesy. Understandably. Yeah. The I- other one. Can't it- really make fun
2: of it. It's not quite as happy. It's,
1: it's not-, not quite It's not happy at all. It's so bleak and sad. It made you cry. It made me literally cry. I never thought I would cry watching Dragnet, but this did it to me. And I'm going to say it's I think it's quite well done. I mean like damn. They you did not hold any punches on this one.
2: You thought it was unironically good.
1: Yeah, I thought it was good, and it actually, kind of got more towards the real meaning of Christmas about like forgiveness and you know, Christ, what, what, Christ came to forgive our sins, right? If you're a Christian, and so it, this this gets at that in a real what, way.
2: What What's the name of this story?
1: Well, the name of the episode that aired on December eighteenth, nineteen fifty two, as part of the original black and white run of Dragnet the seventh episode of the second season. It's called The Big 22 Rifle for Christmas. Now, the radio broadcast was just 22 Rifle for Christmas. That aired uh, first on December 22nd, 1949. Then again, December 22nd, uh, December 20, then again, December 21st, 1950. Then on December 20th, 1951, then on, they like this one, December 21st, 1952, and then of course who could forget December 20th, 1955, and the last one of course, for some reason, March 20th, 1956, I don't know, that's what Wikipedia says, (laughs) who knows, it's, uh, it's grueling. Yeah, it's really a, a very upsetting. I remember
2: we watched this uh, on YouTube. Yeah. And the uh, little uh, image, the thumbnail, showed a very unhappy-looking child. And you said, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Yeah. And I said, nothing good.
1: And then I had a feeling about what was going to happen because of the title and because it, it showed a live child on the thumbnail. So I kind of put it together myself, and I was like, ooh. <sighs> Uh-oh. Uh, but, yeah, this is a very serious episode. It's also set around Christmas. It opens up, oh, here's all the Christmas lights in L.A., blah, blah, blah.
2: I believe it takes place on December 22nd.
1: Yeah, and this is like, uh, you know, basically a little boy goes missing. They find blood in the backyard. That's not good. So, and they
2: also find a uh, shell from a gun.
1: Yeah, so they're like, uh-oh and then they investigate and they find out that the kid got a 22 caliber rifle was going to get a 22 caliber rifle for Christmas.
2: He found it in the closet
1: and opened it early. So you're like, "Uh-oh." And
2: then we find out another kid in the neighborhood's gone missing.
1: Yeah. Nobody knows where they are and they're they're investigating, they're trying to figure out okay, whose blood type matches, but they're both O blood. And one of the kid, the first kid who's getting the present comes back and he's like catatonic. He's like not talking to anyone. He's not looking at anybody. He's like in shock. And uh, then Friday talks to him and he reveals that he was playing with his friend. Who's the the missing kid. And they're playing with this gun. He opened it up early cause he knew he was getting it. He wanted to show his friend and they're messing around with it. And in the, in the rumpus, he shot his friend to death. He, you know, it was like one shot and it just killed him. And he kind of stayed with the body for hours praying that he would come back to life. It's like, oh man, this is really bleak. Then it gets even bleaker.
2: Much bleaker.
1: The father of the dead child comes home and the police have already told the mother who's who faints and the father is told friday displays shockingly bad uh bedside manner here he he does not immediately just say i'm so sorry your son is dead you know saying it all at once he basically leaves the dad to guess what happened by saying he he at first says i'm sorry oh is my son hurt uh yeah he's hurt is he hurt really bad yeah really bad It's like, just spit it out, man. And this guy is like in agony. He goes to see his son's body. He's weeping over him and is talking about all these Christmas presents that he got him. And that's where I started crying because I was like, that's just, that's just so horrible. And it, it just, I mean, it's, it's a really affecting, well done episode, I think. I mean, it's just like a really just, it's a horrific thing all around. This kid is dead. His family is, is devastated This other kid is traumatized for life, you know? I mean, the the, and then, you know, the father goes over, and you think he's going to yell at the other kid, and instead he's like, he forgives him, and he says, it was not your fault, and can I give you my dead son's Christmas presents? And you're just like, oh, jeez. So it's just, it's very upsetting. It's very upsetting, and, uh, you know, definitely... Definitely the better, less corny episode. And a
2: great last line. Because uh, Friday's partner says, you know, basically, what does it all mean, Joe? And Friday says, you don't get a kid a gun for Christmas.
1: Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Still relevant today, unfortunately. Uh, but it, it's it's one of those things, uh, you know, apparently he got some shit from the NRA over that, you said. Yeah. Yeah, so that's telling. Yeah. <laughs> You said that that was a pretty big thing back in the day, people getting guns for their small childs.
2: <laughs> I, I was just, uh, matter of fact, I went on newspapers.com and I was uh, looking it up, and there was like some newspapers in the 50s had articles like, well, how do you decide whether to get your little boy a puppy or a rifle for Christmas? Why not get him both? He could so, shoot his dog, met
1: himself. So, yeah, it was a thing. Yikes. And I was, yeah, I I didn't. And I
2: think this show helped d- discourage that. Yeah. And there was also a lot of coverage in the press at the time from different areas where police detectives said this, this is good. Parents need to be aware. I found one article where a person said, you know, I, th- this is 1952. I've been in homicide since 1941. I've had at least eight cases. Where the kids accidentally shot other kids to death oh with my guns God. they were given for Christmas.
1: I can't even imagine. Just I mean, like that. What, what that. What I mean, what that would do to a family, but also the like the surviving child. Yeah, like you killed your friend. Jeez. But yeah, I thought it was well handled. They kind of they they embraced more subtlety, I think, and embrace the darkness of like no it's not just a simple misunderstanding that can be made right immediately it's somebody somebody's lost forever and there's no making it right but you know this this man is 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 choosing to forgive and, and these
2: parents have to live in a house with uh, their kids' room and all the dreams and stuff they had for that kid in the future is all gone
1: yeah it was really upsetting but like It was good. I mean, it was like just well told. And, you know, Friday is kind of like the sour observer at the end was very effective of like, yeah, he does. He's you know, he's seeing all this awful stuff all the time. And, you know, he just kind of is like. You know, he's not necessarily there to judge people to their faces, but he's there to uh, to tell the audience, like, basically, we all need to get our shit together on this matter.
2: And you kind of understand how a Jill Friday who spends ten or fifteen years working cases like this becomes like he is in the yeah. Days. He doesn't
1: really smile anymore. Actually, it kind of does make sense when you see shit like that. I, like, yeah. Well, that's that's the Christmas episodes. I so can't... now
2: you have to come up uh... with a funny, a funny uh, quip to summarize both of them,
1: give us all a good laugh. Ugh. I, I can't make any laugh about that last one. That was brutal. I'll just say that we wish all our Mystery To Me listeners a big little compliments of the season.
2: Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenlee. He was no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com.
1: You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore two underscore me underscore and at mystery to me podcast on Facebook and Instagram.
2: And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com.
1: We're not teens setting up Hotmail accounts in the early 2000s. So all of those spell out two as T.O. Thanks, Thanks so much, much for listening. listening.